Love. I love you early in the morning and it's difficult to love you. I love the January sky and knowing it will change, although unlike us. I love watching people read. I love photo booths. I love midnight. I love writing letters and this is my letter to the world that never wrote to me. I love snow and briefly. I love the first minutes in a warm room after stepping out of the cold. I love my 20s and want them back every day. I love time. I love people. I love people and my time away from them the most. I love the part of my desk that's darkened by my elbows. I love feeling nothing but relief during the chorus of a song. I love space. I love every planet. I love the big unknowns but need to know who called or wrote, who's coming, if they want the same things I do, if they want much less. I love not loving Valentine's Day. I love how February is the shortest month. I love that Barack Obama was president. I love the quick charged time between two people smoking a cigarette outside a bar. I love everyone on Friday night. I love New York City. I love New York City a lot. I love that day in childhood when I thought I was someone else. I love wondering how animals perceive our daily failures. I love the lines in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof when Brick's father says, life is important. There's nothing else to hold on to. I love Brick. I love that we can fail at love and continue to live. I love writing this and not knowing what I'll love next. I love looking at paintings and being reminded I am alive. I love Turner's paintings and the sublime. I love the coming of spring even in the most withholding march. I love skipping anything casual, hi, how are you, it's been forever, and getting straight to the center of pain or happiness. I love opening a window in a room. I love the feeling of possibility by the end of the first cup of coffee. I love hearing anyone listen to Nina Simone. I love Nina Simone. I love how we can choose our own families. I love when no one knows where I am but feel terrified to be forgotten. I love Saturdays. I love that despite our mistakes, this will end. I love how people get on planes to New York and California. I love the hour after rain and the beginning of the cruelest month. I love imagining Weldon Keys on a secret island. I love the beach on a cloudy day. I love never being disappointed by chocolate. I love that morning when I was 20 and had just met someone very important, though I didn't know it, and I walked down an almost empty State Street because it was still early and not at all late, and of course I could change everything, though I also didn't know it. I could find anyone, go anywhere. I wasn't sorry for who I was. I love the impulse to change. I love seeing what we do with what we can't change. I love the moon's independent indifference. I love walking the same streets as Warhol. I love what losing something does, but I don't love losing it. I love how the past shifts when there's more. I love kissing. I love hailing a cab and going home alone. I love being surprised by May, although it happens every year. I love closing down anything, a bar, restaurant, party, and that time between late night and dawn when one lamp goes on wherever you are and you know. You know what you know, even if it's hard to know it. I love being a poet. I love all poets. I'm Stephen Kleinman. I'm Talia Geiger. And I'm Elizabeth Scanlon. And this is the American Poetry Review Podcast. Hi. 
Hi guys, it's nice to be back. It's nice to see your faces again. Stephen and Talia and I aren't always in the same room together uh, in you know the internet age, so it's nice. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, we are uh, talking today about our January-February issue and some of the ideas and uh, memories that it brought up for us. Uh, you know, Alex Dimitrov, his wonderful poem "Love" is something we'll be discussing uh, also. But I wanted to start. Uh, with this one poem, this cento uh, from Philip Metris called Mixtape for My Twenties, which is also an elegy uh, for the great uh, poet and singer David Berman, uh, who died last year. Um, but this uh, being, as as I said, a cento, uh, is a poem, you know, made up entirely of uh, lyrics borrowed from other sources. Um, and uh, Talia, would you would you do the honors? Would you read this so of we can have I it in will. our in our ears um, as a as a delegate from the twenty year olds of the <laughs> or the people in their twenties? Uh, go sure. for it. Mixtape for my twenties. I am too much with myself. I want to be someone else. Where is my mind? Going up the street like a leaf, high above the busy little one-way. In my stupid hat and gloves, I lie awake, wonder if I'll sleep like a poker in someone's fireplace. I feel stupid and contagious, out till 3 a.m., pillaging the drinks of friends. When you have no one, no one can hurt you. Language keeps me locked and repeating. Never tell them where it hurts. Keep the bullet safe inside. Someday the stone will roll away, and soon you'll see that year, something I never knew I had. Staple my lips shut, pour the milk, and I'll say when. I want to go back, but I'm halfway to the place that we will meet. America is just a word, but I use it. In the morning light, I'll hold that ashtray tight, waiting for something to break. Here comes a smile on her face. I've never been too good with names. Let forever be delayed. Thank you. No Thank you. I, yeah. I have to say, I have a new po- favorite poem now. What's that? <laughs> this. Really? You're, you're it's so great. Yeah. I just it's decided. love. I I love just thinking about all of these songs. Right? I mean, there is something about the form of Ascento that is so, um, I mean, obviously evocative because it, because it, you hear the resonance of all of those songs and how they mm-hmm. live in you or the other poems, depending on, uh, you know, whose Cento you're reading. But there is, uh, there is a, a real hook to it, right? Um, uh, yeah, I really. I feel like we might be, I, I don't know uh, Philip Metris at, Personally, but I feel mm-hmm. like we might be of similar age. Mm-hmm. I think he's a little older than you. A little Steven, older, okay. But that does actually segue into something that I was wanting to talk about, which is the idea of you know this mixtape from my twenties mm-hmm. uh, really hit home for me in a certain way because of course all of these songs are uh, of a time that were basically my twenties, like the nineties, right? Mm-hmm. But in the room here, amongst yeah. the three of us, like. You know, I'm of this forty-something age, and Stephen is a little younger than me, and Talia is the uh, is currently in her twenties, and so we each have that like slight little generational uh, perspective shift. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's, I, but I, I think that the poem works even if it if it doesn't reflect on your twenties. Absolutely. I, do you think so, Talia? Yeah. I mean, I. <laughs> There's the note afterward that mentions all of the, where all of the right, lyrics the are from. Yeah, and I'm 
I can't connect with that directly, right. of course, because I haven't listened to a lot of those bands. But of course, the lyrics are timeless, right. you know? Right. So yeah, it could connect with anyone. Right. Certainly connects with me too. Yeah. I um I was thinking also about have you I mean have you ever written a cento either one of you guys I haven't yeah it's it's not something that I've really done either although when I read them I'm always like oh I should I should do that because it it has such a uh, interesting effect and I started thinking about who were who were the big poets for me when I was in my twenties right um, and how that. Um, like maybe you don't maybe you don't think of them as like relevant necessarily to one age of your life, mm-hmm. but when you think back on it, you think like, oh yes, that was when I first like that got its hook into me, you know. You know, um, you know what I love about that too is that in our late teens, uh-huh. where many of us were in college, not uh-huh. not everyone, but many of us were in college, and mm-hmm. there's a certain odd sense like you you're choosing to be in college, but you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're also just there. Right. <laughs> and I, your twenties are the time where you have to make things your own. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, when we thought about gathering poems from our twenties, right. I just thought this is the time when this is the time when something had to arrive to help you make it your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just that things felt I mean, of course, I probably sound like a very aged person to Talia's ears right now, but I feel like there's something about the impression that those things make upon you in your 20s that right. that you identify with more strongly than perhaps anything that happens later, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was thinking about, like, who were some of those voices for me, and it's, like, certainly Jory Graham and, like, Thylias Moss and... Um, Alice Notley and like you know really amazing women who have continued to write and like have you know many more excellent books uh, that I have also enjoyed but the things that I read first you know my first sort of point of encounter with them like those really stay with me well I I wonder what this is like for you uh, now as we we should us old people should shut up and (laughs) and let Talia take over a little bit yeah, like some who's someone that you really like that has uh, has that resonance for you right now? Right now, I feel like especially since I've just come out of college, there are lots of names that are going around in mm-hmm. my head because I've just accumulated so much in the past. Right, it's a lot of years. exposure all at once. Yeah, like, yeah, but also I feel like well, since I'm I'm only twenty two right now, mm-hmm. but so far in my twenties. <laughs> It just feels like an age of accumulation. Mm-hmm. So, but Eileen Miles is a poet that I look back to, and I was struck by ever since I first read their work. Mm-hmm. Um, Peanut Butter was the first poem I ever encountered. So great. Yes, so great, so bold, and I think that was probably what shook me about that poem. Do you want to read it for us? Yes. Awesome. Let's do it. Peanut Butter. I am always hungry and wanting to have sex. This is a fact. If you get right down to it, the new unprocessed peanut butter is no damn good, and you should buy it in a jar, as always, in the largest supermarket you know. And I am an enemy of change, as you know. All the things I embrace as new are in fact old things re-released. Swimming, the sensation of being dirty in body and mind, Summer as a time to do nothing and make no money. Prayer as a last resort. Pleasure as a means. 
and then a means again with no ends in sight. I am absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals. I have no desire to know where this, anything, is getting me. When the water boils, I get a cup of tea. Accidentally, I read all the works of Proust. It was summer, I was there, so was he. I write because I would like to be used for years after my death. That's just an excerpt of Peanut Butter That's by... That's so great. Yeah. It's so great. I think that um, there's absolutely something in that poem that, uh, not to make a cliche of myself, but it's like I always respond to that, the boldness of like the kind of manifesto mm-hmm. voice, right? That right. that makes that has no timidity about like making a statement, mm-hmm. right? And and there's certainly there's certainly that spirit. There's actually a little bit of a parallel between... Um, peanut butter and mixtape for my 20s Mm. I am too much with myself I want Mm -hmm. versus the first line of peanut butter which is I am this is a fact always wanting right Right. always always wanting it's so good that's an awesome choice Stephen what what did it bring to mind for you when you were thinking about reflecting on your your 20s when I thought about my 20s I thought about grad school and I thought about um, the poets and poems that I figured out in grad school and then have carried with me since then. And mm-hmm. um, The Gas Station by C.K. Williams is the one that sort of stuck with me most. And maybe I'll just read the first five or six lines, which is actually quite a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Gas Station. This is before I'd read Nietzsche before Kant or Kierkegaard, even before Whitman or Yeats. I don't think there were three words in my head yet. I knew, perhaps, that I should suffer. I can remember I almost cried for this or for that. Nothing special, nothing to speak of. Probably I was mad with grief for the loss of my childhood, but I wouldn't have known that. It's dawn, a gas station, Route 22. I remember exactly, Route 22 curved. There was a squat striped concrete divider they'd put in after the plague of collisions. So that's just the, the, the beginning of this poem, which, which ends up winding around and really getting into thinking about some of the poet's mm-hmm. hardest expe- experiences, or maybe right. the speaker's hardest ex- experiences as a young man. Right. And I feel like there's something really uh, quintessentially C.K. Williams happening in that verse there too where he has this kind of synesthesia of like shape and sound right where he says mm-hmm. route 22 I remember that route, route 22 and I don't remember exactly the line but he says something about how it is curved and and what there there was a squat this is right after 22 uh-huh. curved there was a squat striped concrete divider they'd put in after a plague of collisions right mm-hmm. it's I mean the specificity is so rich and by the way um, what's about to come is a plague of collisions right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an absolutely um, visceral uh, poem. That's so good. Yeah. How about for you? I mean, you know, I, I think I was saying a little earlier that that I honestly um, I was in and out of college uh, in my twenties, um, a little here, a little there. Um, but certainly, I was I was reading so many uh, so many poets that whole time. I think in some ways I was even reading more poets in the 
time between my college experiences mm -hmm. than I was while I was in because I was so kind of uh, eager to to educate myself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and there's, I mean, Jory Graham is it was huge for me, and uh, Jean Valentine was was sure. so major for me. Um, but I think that in that era that Heather McHugh's collected Hinge and Sign, I think came out in the, I, I'm pretty sure it was the mid nineties. Um, but that was one that really just kind of knocked my socks off. And then I <laughs> went back to time and time again, because she had this way of being both very clever and like witty, um, but not just jokey, you mm -hmm. know, like it was, it was both things at once. And I think that that always really appealed to me. Um, I pulled up one of her poems from that collection um, called Better or Worse. Um, it's hard. It's hard to just pick one verse, though, right? When you sure. when yeah. you love when you love something so well. Um, I think that. Uh, let me see here. Um, okay, I'll, I'll I'll read the first passage of it. The first couple of verses here. Um, Better or Worse by Heather McHugh. Daily, the kindergartners passed my porch. I loved their likeness and variety, their selves in line like little monosyllables, but huggable. I wasn't meant to grab them, ever, up into actual besmooches or down into grubbiest tumbles. My lot was not to have them in the flesh. Was it better or worse to let their lovability go by untouched and just watch over their river of ever-inbraiding relations? I wouldn't mother them or teach. We couldn't be each other's others, maybe, at removes, each other's each. Wow. Very it's, sonic. It's very sonic, and I think as a, as a, you know, someone who's new to the idea of writing poetry and uh like there was something kind of shakespearean to it that really mm -hmm. um uh turned on my listening um that others others maybe out removes each others each like where it's very like uh, <laughs> also very playful very playful but like with such a depth sure. of like of feeling running right. beneath it um yeah i really appreciate her With us today is Alex Dimitrov, and I'm so excited to have him here. He is on the cover of our January-February issue. Uh, we are featuring his poem, Love, um, which is a real killer diller. It's, uh, it's tremendous, and we heard him read from it at the top of the show. Uh, he's also the author of Together and By Ourselves and Begging for It, and uh, the poem that is in this month's APR is the title poem of his next collection, Love and Other Poems, uh, which is coming out from Copper Canyon Press this year. Thank you for being here, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Am I am I correct? It's coming out this year. From well, Kenya, that sort or? of changed actually right when this went to press. Okay. Um, I pushed it back um, a few months. It's coming out in February of 2021. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I actually feel kind of better about that because um, 
Well, it's called Love and Other Poems, so it's going to be out in February. That feels right, <laughs> though I hate Valentine's Day, as I said in the poem. It's okay. It can be a perfect gift for someone who hates Valentine's Day. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I hope that's true. The members of that club, absolutely. Yeah. Also, it's always better to take your time than to rush, right? I mean, what totally. a luxury to be able to say, like, I'd rather wait a little bit. Well, they're so great to me. Copper yeah. Canyon's so great to me, so I feel... I felt guilty doing it, but I also feel like... Never feel guilty. Right? Like Come taking on. your time as a poet. Right. I mean... What else do we have but time? I mean... And yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I mean, yes. Honestly, we're not in it for the money. No, you know? exactly. So. <laughs> if I rush it out, it's not like it's going to make me a million dollars. Right, right, so. right. It's not a, a, a market uh, question. Um, I, uh, I wanted to begin by asking it's sort of starting from now and going backwards maybe i am so enamored of this poem love and i really wanted to talk to you about the idea of anaphora and like doing a list poem that is a really goes the distance i mean really goes on what you read for us earlier was uh you know only a part of it only a piece of it Mm -hmm. um did you set out to write a litany or was it or did it how did it emerge for you uh, yeah, it's so it's um, it's strange to think about how the poem emerged because it emerged in this very organic way where I didn't even think I was writing a poem, mm-hmm. which is not like natural for me. I sort of obviously know when a poem is happening, but you're right. Like the the list, the list happened pretty organically. I was reading um, Joe Brainerd. And he has, um, I remember. I know. I'm so glad that you said that because that was absolutely my next question. It's like, yes. Joe Brainerd has to be on your mind oh my when God. you're writing a list. Entirely. Right, yeah. But what's strange is that, so I've taught I remember forever in my courses. I have was obsessed with I remember when I was, you know, had just um, arrived in New York like in 2007. I hadn't been thinking about that poem, but I've been reading Joe Brainerd. I've been I was reading at the time the Library of Congress, the big one. Mm-hmm. And strangely, there's this poem called Life. It's just called Life. It's a prose poem. And I Of Joe Brainerd? Yes. Uh-huh. And I was reading it and I thought, wow, he does something so simple here. Um, but somehow so poignant. Um Right. I, I, I don't know that poem. I'll have yeah. to look that up, but I, I think that with I Remember and and with your poem Love, I think that something that is so um, just ensorceling to me about the list poem is that it sort of it's sort of wearing the mask mm-hmm. of being plain spoken, but all of this mystery emerges. Yeah. Right? Like there's so many moments that where you're you're going along and you feel like, yes, this is a uh, you know, a quotidian experience. But totally. then but then something pops out where you're just like, whoa, that's that's like the deep mystery. Right? There's uh I'm trying to remember there are lines uh Oh, I love seeing what we do with what we can't change. Yeah. Is I think the first time when I read your poem, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's it for me. Like, that's no, I know. A big one. I'm glad that's happening for you as a reader. I certainly was hoping that it would because, well, I guess so when I read that poem by him, Life, I was like, this is so simple and poignant. And of course, then I remembered, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, how can one forget that poem? I've always wanted to do something like I remember, but I've never found the right like vessel or vehicle for it and so when i'd read life and i remember and like remembered that poem i thought why don't i just try right and i sort of had to trick myself into trying because (laughs) i didn't you know those kind of really simple effortless things you can't like try for right so i so i thought about it for like a while and then like one morning i just started making a list um 
of just, I don't think it was even called love. I don't mm -hmm. even think the construction even was there, I love. It was just like all of these like lists that I was keeping. And then I just sort of played with it. Mm -hmm. There was also like a weird um, impetus to write something that was more, I don't want to say lighter or joyous, mm -hmm. but... But that makes room for yes, the possibility the possib and of it, joy. It's so hard because the word love is so loaded. Right. Um, joy is so loaded for poets. Absolutely. Um, but I was at a reading, reading from my second book, actually, and this guy who I don't think he read a lot of poetry had, mm -hmm. it was at the new school. I was reading with Morgan Parker and he had just, I think just coming off the street, which is like so cool, mm -hmm. right? That people can just do that. And he started by saying, I don't read a lot of poetry, right. but when I was listening to you read your poems, I just want to know, um, why do poets write about, um, why do poets never write about joy or why do they rarely write about joy? Right. And instead of sort of slagging off his question, which I think I could have like sort of very easily done, maybe I did to be honest. It's a, it's a hard question. It's to a answer. hard question. It's one that I think about a lot too. But in my head, I was sort of like, this is an excellent question. Absolutely. Um, and I and I thought about it a lot. I didn't have a really good answer for him at all, and it kind of bugged me that someone who didn't know me or my work would just come in and feel that way. Though I thought that he had every right to say it. I was like, well, if that's what I'm giving off, right. Where I just thought I just don't want to do that. So for my next book, I was like, why don't we do something? You super set yourself the task. A little bit. <laughs> right. I set myself the task for joy. But yeah. also, I think the thing with this book that you also can see in this poem, I was really interested. I am really interested in this book that's coming out to be as accessible as I can be. Right. To like take ornament out of the way to have like that sort of person who just comes off the street to listen to poetry reading feel like they can mm -hmm. in the same way that you would go to a concert. Right. And I just like, I feel like the second book is so, my second book is so um, the opposite of that. Okay. Like it's a little bit um, the language and I think the syntax and um, I think whatever I was going um, through there stylistically, whatever was happening in my head, it's a lot more um, abstract. And I want to I want to have you read a couple of poems from yeah. together and by ourselves also. But before we do, because that question is so interesting to me, I wanted to say that um, the idea of why do we write so much more from like the dark place than from like the, the yes. light or the joyous or the possibility place. I think about that all the time. Too. Yeah. I mean, in my own writing and in the volumes of poetry that I read, you know, for the magazine. And I think. This is only one facet of it. Part of my theory is that grief and pain that we carry is sort of the, like the the environment that we're, we're in all the time, right? Yeah. Like that is something, like that is our baggage. That is what we carry, right? And happiness is, is more fleeting. So it's like when yeah. you sit down, you're, I mean, maybe... I, I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but it's certainly like this for me. It's like your grief and your pain are what's always there yes. in the background somewhere. So true. Your happiness is that thing that might like, oh, you might catch it. Yeah. Like you might catch that that bus. It's you know? so true. <laughs> I, no, that's a perfect way to say it. Also, one time I remember explaining this to a good friend of mine who mm -hmm. isn't a poet. She's an academic. And I was just saying like, you know, when I'm happy, whenever that is, um, I don't. I don't want to do anything but just be happy because right, I know it's going to be over so fast. 
So it's like, I don't, I don't, don't want to think it. about it. it. Yeah. Like I just wanted to, you know, yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Right. You want to just like keep it going. Yeah, and exactly. Not, don't interrupt it. Don't stop me now. Yeah. You know? Um, well, let me, let me pull up something from, uh, let me see here. I have some faves. I have my, my fangirl faves here. Um, would you be willing to read, um, some new thing sure from together and by ourselves and you'll have to forgive like my my markings and my copy oh my god (laughs) it's so it's funny that you pull up this poem because the the conrad who's mentioned in this poem is ca conrad you're reading my mind because i was of course going to ask that yeah but (laughs) i i say that because when i the first time i ever came to philly was for a reading that he asked um, a bunch of us to do. It was like me, Paula Go, Adam Fitzgerald, Andrew Durbin, and we read at Giovanni's room. Yeah. And um, he used to work there for many years. Yeah. yeah. And he, I don't know, it's just so funny because he, this poem sort of arrived because he did my tarot mm-hmm. and um, he told me that I had to change all of these things. And one of the things he told me to do was to just get on the subway. And uh, have don't not have a destination in mind, and just get off somewhere new, and just go out and like walk the neighborhood and do something, like have a cup of coffee. And I was like, this sounds so simple and like ridiculous. Right. And then I did it. Yeah. And I was like, well, it did change a little something in my day. He was giving you like a personalized somatic exercise, right? Literally. I mean, that's what he does. Like, yes. That's, that's or one of the many wonderful things that he does. But like, I, as soon as I read that poem, I was like, that has to be CA. Yeah. Like that moment of just making a suggestion. That's a wild card. Yeah. Um, I really did trust it. I don't want to make it seem like I didn't trust it, but I, I just was like, this is so simple. And I also thought, God is a New Yorker. How often do I just have like, aimlessness aimlessness right and he was like well that's maybe what you need right <laughs> and i was like you're totally right um so that i'll read so it great please do um okay it's one page perfect some new thing the best reason to live is that there is no reason to live i walked to your apartment in the late night flowers i didn't plant began to be flowers and i was a color and then i was none Conrad said, let the train take you anywhere, past all the old stops. I let the train take me anywhere. I passed all the old stops. With you, I like being nowhere, and with you, I live nowhere now. The best reason to paint is that there is no reason to paint. Keith Haring wrote that. It could be about us. I go into churches and I go into bars. I feel the time stop. To feel. You can't stop at some point. Not a religious thing. Why on earth or why not? Let's be in a Sunday morning with no complacencies of the peignoir, no late coffee or oranges. All he does is watch the neighborhood dogs getting walked. No one will let you through if you don't walk your own sadness. No one will let you touch if you're a person at all. One summer, we walked the entire island of Manhattan. We were our own animal, from inwood to the water to your small want. And you, 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 you can read these lines in any order because I want to leave nothing out and there's nothing here. Words are just words. What I feel, I feel twice and risk three of. Some new thing. How there's more here without us at all. 
Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really love that one. I I like that one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be but, honest. Yeah. No, it's a wonderful thing to be able to like revisit yeah. like something, you know, from a a, a past book. A and, lot I don't like, yeah. but that one somehow feels alive to me still. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think it has a I think there is something about the like getting off the train and and being like in a new mind. Yeah. Right. That like is always fresh. I yeah. Think. Um, why the shout out the the call out to Wallace Stevens in that in that? Isn't poem? that weird? Yeah. It's such a specific Wallace Stevens like complacencies of the peignoir. Wow. Like, so yeah. His mouth. Right. Like it's so his entirely. Language. I knew <laughs> and I knew people would be like, whoa, the the diction here. Right. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I um, really like that poem a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I also am someone who, um, Stevens is a really interesting American poet for me because he's only become more important to me. Mm -hmm. He's like one of those people at first that I read. Um, I read him in a class um, about Eliot and Pound and mm -hmm. Stevens. And I just remember in college being in that course and just constantly feeling stupid mm -hmm. like I was like I don't understand anything like right. I don't get what Pound's doing I don't get what Elliot's doing and Stevens was sort of the person who I didn't understand him either I found him very obtuse but he had like these shreds of feeling mm -hmm. clouded within like a lot of like obtuseness well he's he's a sensualist even yeah. though he's so heady right totally I mean I remember reading the first time I was reading um, you know the palm at the end of the mind yes. and when you get to that ending where it says the birds fire fangled feathers dangled down oh I was like God. whoa I that know. is just like a whole like lollipop like it's so much <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> um, but but it is it is a a, a a shifting, a shifting balance of like uh, of headiness and um, pleasure. Um, I find him just like to be so. He's he has grown more interesting to me, mm -hmm. which is like rare. I think with yeah. a lot of other poets. I mean, obviously, I read um, all of those other poets I mentioned, yeah. but not the same way. He has like his titles are also really inspirational to me. He has one that's just called "How to Live, What to Do." Oh, it's a great title. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a great like title. who wouldn't turn to that page? Yeah, you know. Yes, um, please tell me. Please yeah, tell me how to me live, know. what to do. Yeah. Um, may I ask, uh, speaking sort of going backwards through our, our like education as poets, um, when did your family first emigrate? Didn't, were you, were you like of like memory age like, yeah. when you arrived here? It's so funny you asked me that yeah. because I, um, it's something that I've made a point not to like, uh, bring to the forefront mm -hmm. in any way. I think it's in my first book. Oh. I think there's a few poems in there. There is. But, there's, I remember. Yeah. yeah there was but, one. but I'm happy to talk about it, but it's just funny because sometimes people ask me like, why isn't this in the work? Why don't you talk about the immigrant experience yeah. in the work? I do a little bit, but I also am not interested in it. Right. But I... Um, but I do. I just want to make a point in saying that. Um, oh yeah, I don't. I don't think of the immigrant experience as like a monolith by any means. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I know. I'm more curious just in that, like in the formation of language and totally. in like the ideas of how how America occurs, like yeah. in one's consciousness. But I guess I find like, it curious about myself too that I've sort of done that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you're like, no, let's not. I was but, six years old. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I very much remember it. Uh -huh. Um and my family um where did you to, first live when you um, came here? In Detroit. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Yes. Okay. Um yeah I know because I just like never talk about it. Um and you, uh, we were like 
three immigrant families in this one big house um, Mm -hmm. in Detroit, Michigan. And I, what was strange is that like, I had learned um, how to write and read in Bulgarian. Like my Uh grandmother was a school teacher, so she was really big on just like, from the very get-go. I think I was reading by the time I was like, even like four or five, like it was crazy Uh how into, um, into language I was. And then when I came here, I didn't speak any English. Wow, you're but I was starting from scratch. Zero. Wow. And I was I'm and I'm also the only person in my like immediate family not to have an accent. I think that's probably why. I was so what I'm trying to say is like one language had just entered my consciousness right. and I wasn't even steeped in it. Yeah. Like that English was very um I don't want to say easy for me, but I but I was very uncomfortably comfortable. No, I think it's amazing. I mean, it's maybe a cliche to say yeah. that like children are sponges, but it, it's true though that like I think starting at that young an age, yeah. like, it is astonishing like how quickly like a totally. kid can a kid can achieve like mastery. Of and language. I was also yeah. like taking my grandmother was really big on like that I take French, and I remember being so frustrated with French because I couldn't get the pronunciation and the French R for years. Mm. And then I just remember when I was learning English, I thought this is so much easier. <laughs> like the Germanic like nature of English, it's just so right. much more simple. French, I feel like my breathing has to change when I speak French. Your whole face has to change, right? Exactly. I mean, there's a whole muscular, like everything is so much more forward and ooh and on. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes um, I find that really embarrassing, so I just can't do it. It's interesting that you should say that because yeah. I remember when I was studying French in school that uh, a middle school teacher of mine was used to make fun of us all the time. She was like, what are you embarrassed? Are you embarrassed to say grenouille? Or like, you know, whatever. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> because it looks like you're kissing. Yeah. Um, but uh, following on that, I was also super curious about, I feel like the love of American icons, like yes. Marilyn Monroe, JFK, um, Elvis, like the 50s and 60s yes. sort of icons, is so present in your work. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Like, is there something, like, what does that do for you? Yeah, I'm unapologetically um, interested in those people and in Americana. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's it's a strange time to talk about Americanness. Sure. And it's, it's not in any way, like, nationalistic or patriotic, but mm-hmm. I am very interested in um, those figures as American figures um, because there's something about America that has always been about creating yourself. Absolutely. And I think that like all of those people um, in some ways, obviously they're entertainers, um, have created themselves very much like yes. sort of like how this country was, what this country was founded on. Um, and obviously this country has a very dark history but I do think that, um, as many countries have dark histories, right. sometimes I think we never point that out. Yeah. I do think that there is something um, like incredible about being an American um, because uh, like, like being an immigrant and having come to this country, um, I don't think I've ever really let go of this idea that um, you can transform yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even necessarily about making it or getting rich or something. Right, it's not it's, necessarily about fame. No. Right? There is some other, like, magic there. Yeah, it's just, like, finding yourself or something. I mean, like, Marilyn Monroe is someone who entirely create. she created that person. Mm-hmm. And maybe that person was really more her than Norma Jean was. Right. Right, and, like, maybe she needed to become that person in order to, like, really, you know, um, live the way that she 
envisioned. Um, well, and there's that great passage in Answered Prayers, Truman Capote's oh God, piece yes. about her where, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but she says something like, watch me become her. And she can actually like turn it on and off, like yeah. in how she presents just walking down the street, right? Yeah. And that's fascinating. I find that fascinating. Me too. That there is a, a level of control about what you choose to show. Yeah, me right? too, totally. Um, I love him too, Truman Capote. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you, if I may, yeah. to read one more poem going all the way back to Begging For oh It, my God, your yeah. first book, my because first this book. is a brief poem, but it's one of my favorites of yours. And if yeah. maybe we could end on the why. Yeah, for sure. Just a little bit about this poem too. I think I dedicated mm. to Marie Howe mm. because um, she's someone who I find like so radically open and like Absolutely. radically empathetic yes. um, that I, I just find hers to be such an inspiration mm -hmm. as a poet and person. I want to be in rooms full of people I love. The world goes white then green again, like the mind telling the body it is not alone. The body saying something I can almost hear above the sound of a dog barking because he feels himself tied and tremendously alone. Who would you believe? I walk the great streets of New York City where many great people have lived and think how great it is to live and die on earth, even if it means having known nothing of the why. Nothing of the why. Thank you so much for being here, Alex. Yeah. It has like really been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for publishing my poem. My pleasure. I wondered who would publish <laughs> that long thing. Um, so it's, well, it's, a it's an honor. It's a total privilege for us. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for listening. This has been the American Poetry Review Podcast. We'd like to thank our engineer, Joey Sweeney, and Radio Kismet. The American Poetry Review is a Radio Kismet podcast. Please follow them uh, on social media. Also follow the American Poetry Review. 